0: I, did I not get the memo? What's
1: <laughs> we're doing aliases? I just thought it was kind of cool.
2: Yeah, I I came in with Armani Cooks because yeah. I just thought like I I always I do excited. one. I think the last time I did the wrap up, I was Orflack the Butcher or something like that. So <laughs> yeah, it's always good. You know, it's like a forget the promotion.
1: It's like a generated orc name in like some like RPG.
2: Yeah, exactly. gentlemen,
1: <laughs> big big W. Toronto Raptors win one hundred seventeen. Uh, to over Cleveland 104 this was a pretty important game I think if Toronto had lost this it's kind of like the play-in was a for show for show and now we're not so sure anymore it felt like a playoff game it kind of played out for the most part like a playoff game Samson Mr. Cooks give me your uh, preliminary thoughts
2: okay I thought that Pascal Siakam had a little bit more license to operate freely than he usually does because OG Ananobi revived some of those drive and kick possessions that otherwise are kind of dead in the water during a lot of these recent Raptors games. You know, uh, Fred is shooting sub 30% from three since the All-Star break. Gary is sub 30% overall since the All-Star break. And so OG just kind of punching into the lineup and hitting threes changes the complexion of the offense. And 117 points scored definitely isn't a surprise in a game where they get a little bit more in that way. And it also, you, you think to that, that possession where Pascal got Evan Mobley on the switch and then takes him into the paint, spins off of him move. to his left hand. That's yeah. usually blanketed by another defender. But in this case, there's not as big a pull off the corner and stuff like that. So Pascal got to lead. And guys like Brooks come in for these really important uh, stretches of basketball where Pascal gets a little bit of extra rest, and he doesn't have to deal with as much foul trouble. And Fred gives you a three here and there. And OG Ananobi, you know, he didn't go to a lot of his post-up stuff like he usually does, but he provided so much. And defensively, too, guys like Boucher, uh, Precious, as soon as he came in the game, kind of changed the defensive complexion as well. So um, I would say getting contributions from places where, they haven't even been able to try with OG coming back. And then just like Brooks stepping in, I know you wrote a great piece about him, Aiden, and uh, maybe you could speak a little bit more to that, but it's, yeah, just getting more from more people is helpful in a basketball game, I suppose.
1: Yeah, no, and I I think, Kyle, I'll ask you in a sec, but I do think that like one of the major themes of tonight's game was depth. Like I really, I mean, and we still didn't have Gary, but it really felt like, I mean, we were rolling with lineups that didn't have, um, you know, both of Freddie and Pascal in them. And if, and at times neither, and it felt most for the most part, it got a little stagnant at times, but it felt good and it felt safe. And that's a rarity uh, for this team all year. Um, And a big part of that is Brooks. um, And a big part of that is the growth of Precious and Chris playing at the level he's playing. Kyle, what, uh, what kind of observations did you bring up? I thought Samson hit it like the nail right on the head. The
0: spacing is so good with OG out there. And it's interesting. Like I kind of figured he'd come back and be a terrific defender and have some like second action type stuff, but he hit four threes. He was four from four for eight from three tonight, like coming off of a, an injury to a hand. That's super impressive. And, and I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I did not see that coming at all. I just in general, while we're on the shooting topic, this is Siakam's. I don't know. It might be an exaggeration to say best shooting game of his career, but it kind of feels that way. He he had a lot of like swat up threes. I, I would imagine that's because he was getting blitzed off coming off of screens so aggressively that they basically had to take him off the ball or he had to release the ball early. But he was hitting spot up threes at such a high clip that it just like got him rolling, and eventually he's hitting pull ups. Um, he he's hitting little floaters in the lane. Like I thought Pascal's night was maybe the most impressive Pascal game I've ever seen that includes like some big playoff performances, et cetera. I, I thought he had a, a close to perfect night.
2: I have a, a fun little anecdote. So coming into this game, Pascal was I believe 16 of 33 from the corners and he was in the 90th percentile as far as guys who shoot well from the corners. Cause you know, 16 of 33 is actually pretty great. It's like 48%. And he hit three corner threes in this game. So It's not that, uh, you know, like there's some blitzing, as you said, but just being able to release into space and actually for with OG being featured in more of the screening actions instead of Pascal, just to help give Fred and that action a little bit more punch. uh, Pascal can actually slide to the corner and offer, you know, some spacing on some of these set actions. And it just allows him, you know, Pascal, there was a point in this game where he had basically made, you know, just as many threes as two pointers. That is a rarity for Pascal, and he doesn't, in the way of getting easy shots, like you can see it on screen, like that's a really difficult shot. Nothing is easy. Yeah, and you have guys like teams playing pack line defense on the Raptors, and now Pascal gets a game where he can just kind of space out and hit warm up, you know, corner threes like he used to off of Kawhi Leonard and and Kyle Lowry is probably a return to normalcy or, you know, halcyon days for him to some degree. So that was really cool.
1: Yeah, totally, and I, I think like adding to all of that, and maybe I don't know how we feel about Freddie's game, but I think something that I I this is unfortunately with Freddie's knee, I think this is maybe about the capacity. We'll see. I don't know. I'm 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 not so optimistic, but I I'm not in the training room, so I don't know. A couple of things though. One, this is the kind of volume and usage I do want to see from Freddie. Like it 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 feels more comfortable. It feels less desperate. To have him shooting nine shots and doing so in like a little bit more of a flow as opposed to four seconds ticking down and him grinding something out. And I think that is a consequence of his knee. But also with you know, like you're saying with OG in the actions now, with Scotty in the actions and Pascal cooking, like having Freddie off ball also creates that space. Like it's just like it to me, it makes he suits that role a little bit more. In more parts of the game than he otherwise would, and that was kind of cool to see as well. Thoughts on that? No,
2: oh, yeah, uh, yeah, this I think that's a great point. Like what you said about uh, what you said about Fred and his knee is you can see when he gets blitzed or they hedge really hard on these pick and rolls earlier in the season, he might have been able to turn the corner, but in some of these plays, he's getting corralled. Over to the uh, to the sideline and so the Raptors are running more slip plays they're running more ghost screens off of that to get the ball out of his hands and then to start running, you know, maybe an exit screen or something on the weak side for him just to have the weak side of the defense occupied so one of Scotty or OG or Pascal can work on the strong side and so it's concentrating his his shooting gravity into more meaningful offensive sets Mm. and they used to have to rely especially without OG in the lineup and if Pascal was having even just a so-so game it's been it's been cool to see that they can just kind of use Fred as you say in a in maybe a more mindful way considering his current physical limitations.
0: Just in general bringing like a defender like OG into the lineup where it's like Uh, he can basically fit into any defense you're running. He's so versatile. And the spacing he provides offensively means that, like, everything changes spacing-wise, whether he's a screener, whether he's in the corner, whether he's on the ball, because then your second-best floor spacer can be in the corner instead of on the wing. It's all of that kind of stuff. Like, this – I don't want to get over my head here, but this win gives me a lot of optimism the way the team played tonight with og gives me a lot of optimism and frankly i kind of miss the guy i i thought he had a great game and i i I forgot how much i love watching him play we've been kind of hard on him on the broadcast but i thought tonight was like the platonic ideal of an og game just like play good defense hit some corner threes um you know a little second side stuff it was perfect
2: do you guys have any thoughts on the defense because that's obviously a very meaningful uh, part of this game as well
1: yeah i mean I think like those big lineups, especially, you know, now that Gary's, um, or with Gary off and having OG at the shooting guard, it's just like, we're just so much bigger and intimidating and longer. And you can see kind of the, um, um, the chemistry, I suppose that like exists with that core group. There was one amazing play and I can't really recall how it unfolded, but essentially there was a, a, a screen where like, or Freddie was on a guy so that if. The screen at kind of a he been, been, yeah he would have been switched on to mobley I think and him and OG kind of triangulated a priest or like a switch before the switch um and it was just that kind of stuff and then birch I think is comfortable being in that scheme already just because he's a pretty intelligent team defender so it was cool to see them just working uh, like on a as a well-oiled machine I think early on everybody was tight I think both teams were tight so it was kind of like a little herky- jerky but as the game unfolded and as we started uh, suppressing cleveland you could really see how well this unit can operate yeah for me it was the switching
0: as well i i actually wish we we would have clipped that play it was like a little sort of um like a curl screen uh i, I guess like on the nail and pascal OG and Fred, like, operated perfectly. And I, that is a chemistry thing. And I think a lot of chemistry people often talk about is, like, offensive chemistry, like, where do you want the ball? Do you want the ball in the shooting pocket? Are you going to, like, move – are you going to cut from the corner? But defensive chemistry is really underrated, and these guys have played together for a long time. And they're, they switched better tonight on defense than I think I've seen them in a very long time switch.
2: Yeah, and even on some of those plays where maybe you can't get away with a pre switch, or maybe they run a, you know, they could switch the action to the opposite side to get something else, which is something the the Cavs tried to do. Let's say Siakam or Boucher is in the corner. As soon as they get that mismatch, they'll probably scram switch Fred out of there. And the length and like ball pressure up at the top, especially with Armani Brooks, it means that while you're scram switching, they can't get a direct pass to punish it either. So that's mm-hmm. it's all about applying pressure while you're trying to kind of sew up the back end of the defense. And yeah, both of you guys hitting on chemistry. Like that's that's a very salient point and that's something that the Raptors played really well with tonight.
1: Is an interesting thing with I was this might be a little bit off side topic but like it made me think of rotations just also like uh, Precious and Boucher again come in and give that like much needed boost especially on the defensive side um, and to me it kind of confirmed the idea of having Birch in the starting lineup I know he struggled again but it it just kind of makes sense having um, or maintaining that kind of defensive intensity and that length and strength that they're depending on by having Birch in the starting lineup as opposed to him coming off the bench or out of the rotation altogether I guess but um, yeah it was just something I thought as I was seeing that um, Chris brought up the usage here and it was kind of interesting because it felt like for a bit there, Pascal was not, you know, included and you can kind of see it to where I, I don't know how, how much in the fourth quarter he was off, but it kind of felt like he wasn't really like taking over the game and then he just walked in there and took over the game. So I just wanted uh, Chris to bring that usage up.
2: Yeah, he checked in at six ten, I think,
1: of the okay. of the fourth
0: quarter. Okay. So he, yeah. The the third quarter closing lineup of Achua Boucher, I believe it was, I guess, Brooks, Van Vliet, and Scotty, just all of those Brooks lineups tonight. I'm kind of buying into the Armani Brooks experience. Like I think he could be a rotation guy, like in a playoff series. I think he could play twenty minutes in a playoff series. He's he's good. He's really good. And Aiden, you can, uh, like, elaborate on this more than I'd be able to, but um, is is there anything that you saw from him tonight that impressed you other than,
1: um, you know, what you've seen before? Do you see anything new tonight? Well, what what I've liked about him, even though his shooting was – he struggled with the shooting earlier um, in his 10-day contracts, is, is, like Samson mentioned, is, like, he's – he's still active defensively and he kind of has, he just has a natural acumen for where to be, when to be. And it fits quite well in this, the like scrammy aggressive defense that Toronto has. So that kind of stood out to me is that like other guys that we've kind of put in those positions look a little bit lost initially. And he didn't really look that way. Um He hasn't been shooting the three in it, which is unfortunate because it's like, if he could have earlier, if he would, you know, it was, concern is 10-day contract might have been concerning but now he's hitting it a little bit more much more confidently he had two travels which is unfortunate because he does have uh an attacking playmaking kind of um edge to his game as well those so- kind of seem like to me like
0: he's new he's like a new guy in the league like those weren't i'm not whatever i'm not like on the court i'm watching from home but it that it wasn't out of the ordinary it just seemed like he doesn't have the rep yet to to be attacking off the dribble. And, like, you know, guys shuffle their feet. It's the NBA. I, I've seen LeBron do that four million times in his career. Yeah, totally. And it, it's Armoni Brooks so books. It's kind of the issue.
1: I think he yeah. just gets really excited too, right? Like, he's just like, whoa.
2: It's, uh, yeah. Well, his second one especially, I think that was a really, really tough call. His second travel. I think if you called that on every player in the league, you'd probably be running, like, 40 travel calls a game. Like that, The function of what he did there was basically how everybody in the league attacks a closeout. So that might have been like the refs leaguing him like, hey, you're in the show now, even though he has like 40 games with the Rockets under his belt. Yeah. But yeah, the shooting as well. And this is something, you know, we'll all be aware of. But like it, it didn't go super well with the Rockets earlier this season. But he has a lot of reps at the G League level just being an absolute torch. And so the function of being a shooter is something that he very clearly has. It's just about getting used to the pace of the NBA of closeouts and how the space works and contests and stuff like that. So he has the shooting talent. It's just whether he can implement it in a game. So I'm actually really excited to see how that works out for him because he's also he presses on the offensive glass a little bit when the you know, they're playing like the volleyball tap stuff. He gets in there and he gets a little bit grimy. On the switch stuff and on just delaying like pocket passes and stuff, even tags, his length on the defensive end is you don't often hear the term like connectivity on defense, but it does help them link together like those backline um, lockups and stuff like that. So even even in a game like this where we're like, hell yeah, he, he went two for six. That's good. I think that there's a, a very real upside beyond even these types of performances that can get better
1: yeah, you I mean, last year he was forty percent on eight attempts a game. Like it he can do it at, at a volume and and he's not a static shooter, right? He's not like we're not signing Matt Thomas or Jody Meeks here. like we have a guy who who I think when he's more comfortable, confident, like you know, he I also what I like about him, and I, we don't need to go too too much longer on Brooks, but I found early on he was deferential. Part of it was I think maybe he was a little bit nervous. But I think part of it is this: like, I it kind of spoke to his intelligence that he knows he knew what this team's about. He know he knows where to go, like where the ball should go, and he was doing it almost too much. But I and I, so I think he's kind of like naturally working his way in, which I, I really appreciate for a ten day contract guy who's thinking he's got to prove himself real quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's
2: tough, man. I mean, like Malachi has a guaranteed contract, and he's still. Yeah. He's unsure about when to boogie and when to get like loose with totally. the dribble and try and like bust things out. He played with hesitation. He played, you know, with, you know, uh, he was deferential for a lot of these types of plays. And when he actually was like, okay, let me manipulate with the dribble. Let me get a little bit experimental. That's when things started getting better because guards in the NBA are just obscenely talented. It's just kind of what type of leash they have to exhibit those skills. And Brooks uh, is, uh, I guess, getting a longer leash, which helps a lot, especially through this stretch where Fred needs rest and, you know, whatever the hell happens with his knee, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I sorry, Kyle, but yeah, on man. that point, is that I do think Flynn's a great contrast because you could visu- visu- visibly watch Flynn either like go like pendulum swinging, right? Like way too passive and then way too like demanding pick and rolls like out of the flow um and he's finally kind of found his rhythm so you can imagine yeah for a guy like brooks how difficult it would be to just like be dropped in and like go figure it out it,
0: i think part of the reason brooks ha- like is gaining the confidence he does is he's got he's got a really athletic build He's that six nine wingspan and he he's a good defender and i think he's a you know flynn whatever is a technically skilled defender, but you can just get away with so much more when you have arms that long. Um, And even like he gets lost in a back cut and his arms are everywhere. He can be a second, a full second late and his arms are everywhere because he can get it like, you know, he can be a step behind and his arms are still in a passing lane. Um, And I did want to say Gilbert Arenas was on the Ryan Russillo podcast and talked about like summer players. Uh, guys who are like great in in the summertime, but don't really have the ability within a team structure, like in an NBA season. I would venture to guess that Ar- Armani Brooks is a terrific summer player. I bet he tears up those UCLA runs. He just seems like the type of guy that, like, you know, with with like a super long leash, when the, the only person inhibiting him is himself. I I would
1: I'd have my money on him in the summer. He's a he's a baller for sure. Definitely, he's a baller for sure um other insights guys is there anything you want to touch on do we want Barnes, to go like Barnes
2: versus mobley seems like i was something just gonna nice. say that yeah. do
1: we want to do rookie of the year chat yeah i mean not actually but those two yeah uh, i'll i'll preface this by saying i think at this point I,
0: kate is probably the rookie of the year so it's the entire conversation is a moot point but um if you're making the case for scotty i think his performance tonight is like the epitome of that case, which is that neither him nor Mobley had terrific nights. Uh, they were equally impactful defensively. I, I thought Mobley did a good job protecting the rim. I think Scotty did a great job on the ball and has been better on the ball these this last five games than he's been at any other point in the season. But the difference is the playmaking. Like Scottie is like an offensive initiator at his best. He's making some reads in transition, like those little no-looks. He threw a skip pass, like slinging it with one arm like a baseball. I just, to me, the case for Scotty would be, although he, he doesn't necessarily have the freedom to do so, he's a better initiator. And when he's been given the opportunity, he's shown to be the type of guy that you can run an entire offense through as a primary ball handler. And I think that's what the league wants. I think that's what's most valuable in basketball in general.
2: Yeah just being able to like if you look at Mobley who has for a guy of his size a pretty good freestyle game especially in the middle of the floor but it's nothing compared to the self-authoring offense that Scotty has like Scotty, as far as an isolation player has been above and beyond anything that anybody would have imagined and so that's always something that he can plug into a game for the Raptors and be helpful it's actually probably been in the half court, the best thing he's been able to do so far this year. But you had the clip up the one time and Scotty in transition, not only can make plays towards, you know, the hit ahead passes that are no looks and stuff like that, but even that one play where Akoro has Boucher covered. And so this is like the Kyle Lowry esque management of lanes in transition is that Scotty switches his lane to make a stand up so that Boucher is running on just Garland. And that's not something that like, precious who i've written about and talked about and really love that's not something precious will do in transition and, and that's not something that probably og would do in transition either these are these are plays that show like in a great great proprioception just awareness of where things are around his body and awareness of where it, like his court mapping where are the defenders Where are the lanes on the floor? What's advantageous? How can I manipulate it with my dribble and with my own movement? And then using my height pass over guys. And that little play of just drawing a Coro up in transition where they didn't have the man advantage, but creating one by flipping the court. That's just like those little things are ways that he creates in the open court that he'll continue to do that. Not many players actually emulate whether they're rookies or just seasoned vets.
1: It's funny, like statistically, they were essentially equivalent. They each had their like moment on those dunks, but also those defensive like uh, moments where Scotty had the poke that we saw, and then Mobley had that insane block on Pascal, where he I think he challenged somebody's shot and then came across the key and just like uh, blocked uh, Pascal at the rim. So they they were kind of like split down the middle. But I mean, to both of you guys' points. You talk about connectivity like that is scotty through and through and whether it's him uh self-authoring as samson said or just being there and moving or moving the ball like he has such much more um, an imprint on the game especially on the offensive game whereas mobley can kind of like fade out like if if he's not doing if he's not part of the action or he's not in an iso he just kind of like disappears a little bit Whereas Scotty is everywhere and all up in your face. And and not always. Sometimes Scotty just disappears as well. Like he suddenly gets less aggressive and less confident. I don't know. But tonight that wasn't really the case. I think he was nervous early, but otherwise he was he was just yeah, he had his hand on this game more than most rookies do. And most players as well, like you said. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it also just like Samson, you're talking about his
0: his awareness of where other people are. Gives me a lot of confidence that you can run eventually a heliocentric offense out of the pick and roll with Scotty. Like if he has that sort of playmaking ability, he's only really shown it in transition. But I think the end game is like coming off a screen, getting his defender like in jail and just figuring it out out of the pick and roll. And you can tell he's there instinctually. I don't think he has the reps, but I am i don't know it excites me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. Like when I when I wrote that big piece on him, and I went through like every possession, and I was measuring high risk passes and low risk passes. And a lot of his high risk passes are up court plays that a lot of other players don't even try and make. And this is kind of like what limits Fred and Obviously, Fred is tremendous. And when he was healthy, he was, you know, a a borderline all NBA candidate. But Fred doesn't make those upcourt passes a lot of the time. And Scotty weaponizes guys like Pascal and OG and and even Precious with some of the early work, you know, in, in these early possessions, but also in the half court by extending vertically with his passing and being a little bit more mindful of how big the guys are on the front end and trying to service them at the rim. So he makes plays in a way that Fred doesn't really, and he makes plays not as well as Pascal does currently, but that's not a product of him being a worse playmaker. It's just a product of getting less attention so less guys are open. So, yeah, he's tremendous.
1: That Freddie part, like, I was going to say it's a height differential, but then Lowry was great at it. Is that, what is that a consequence of? Is that, like... It seems at times Freddie needs to have his like control of what's going on almost to a fault. Is that what it is or what do you think? Well, so there's passers who are always just risk averse. You
2: know what I mean? And so Pascal is prior to this season was a pretty risk averse passer, but could create things because he received so much attention. And even in the half court, Pascal isn't that like he doesn't try and bust out anything crazy. He just gets... Double that, like a top five figure in the NBA so guys are open and he makes good reads but right. in the in like transition and on the fast break which for some reason is two different things on nba.com Pascal's hit-aheads are actually like pretty adventurous it goes lots of places but when we think of classic point guards it's always trying to find the the equilibrium between trying to fit into the tiniest pocket to create the easiest possible look or making these Normal, progressive reads and stuff like that. And so it's yeah. And coaches typically like the normal progressive reads with with superstars. I think typically we see guys who are making more advantageous passes because if you are an adventurous passer, you can weaponize players and movement that isn't otherwise typically going to get you a bucket. trying to squeeze like a ball through a pinhole can sometimes deliver two points for a layup where otherwise you might be resetting the offense and taking a 17 footer or something like that
0: we should mention our our mathematicians at raptors republic have been on this for the last 27 minutes but we're proud to announce that we figured it out finally the raptors have clinched the play in spot i know it took us a while <laughs> to get to the bottom of it, but the rappers have officially clinched a play in spot. So
1: uh round of applause. Um, HP
2: right. hard word paroxysm.
1: Matt Moore. I trust, I trust that. Are we that. are we allowed to call the play in the postseason? I, I no, not technically, wouldn't. I don't think, right? I like think they, they the said season.
2: Yeah, like they said they even measure the stats differently. Like play-in stats are their own like they oh, don't really, count towards yeah, they don't count towards playoff stats. It's I some believe.
0: sort of pre, like a purgatory between uh, yes. like season and post Yeah, it's totally purgatory. Uh, we should mention, thank you, Guru. Oh, thank you, Guru. Uh, how do we match up against Boston on Monday? We'll probably get to this later. Yeah, my we'll answer, get... my short answer would be not good. We'll do, let <laughs> we'll we'll me do question
1: period. We'll do Guru's first. Appreciate the donation. That's a Big Mac.
2: Oh, actually, I have something for... However many people are watching, um, I don't know when the video or podcast comes out, but uh, Kevin O'Connor, he's uh, the ringer, uh, their NBA writer. I did a podcast with him and we talked about rookie of the year and he said he was leaning Scotty and he has a vote. So if you guys are wondering about how some of the national media are thinking, especially after tonight where he has like the big dunk, the Raptors win. Because national media don't pay that much attention. Like, they like the optics. Scotty winning this game is a pretty big deal. Scoring, like, almost 20 games since the All-Star break is a big
1: deal. So, he's got the momentum, I think. So, that's cool. It's funny. Like, as soon as we get healthy, Scotty's rookie of the year chances just kind of, like, dip. You know? <laughs> it's very unfortunate. It's mean, just by virtue of lack of usage, I think, you know? Well, yeah, you, you got to have the ball to do some
2: things especially because Mobley when he doesn't have the ball is maybe even even better offensively because Garland is such a wonderful pick and roll engine that he can create looks for Mobley at the rim but when Scotty doesn't have the ball especially considering how important the isolation has been to his game this year it means that his his statistics are going to take a dip so yeah
1: and and he doesn't stand out as like pronouncedly on the defensive end the way uh, oh, Mobley. Yeah, Moby's. Better, Mobley does. Right. Sure. So yeah, that, that's why um, I'm going to take this moment to uh, name our tax man of the night. can taxman tax man of the night. tax tax man of the night. Um, this is an award, Samson. I'm sure you've done it before. We just we don't actually have a criteria for who earns it. We argue every time who we think earns it based on our own criteria of the time. And if you have a reasoning for why you choose the taxman of the night, then uh, that all the better. So we're going to give you the honor to choose who the taxman of the night would be.
2: Okay, so this is this is really interesting, I suppose, because it it could you know shell out some I guess political leanings, like maybe you go really libertarian, like the taxman is whoever gets the most steals on the night, or something like exactly. that. Or you consider like the person who has the most turnovers, like this egalitarian wizard who's trying to. Provide a social safety net to the Raptors' offense. Hmm. Hmm. I tax man Boucher. I'm gonna give it to
1: Boucher. Okay. Yeah. So, we're, are we supposed to infer what uh, what your uh, your political leanings are based on choosing Boucher? I think it's a centrist answer. It's a pretty centrist, yeah. Is a centrist <laughs> answer. Yeah, literally,
2: literally. Let's go like full parasocial. I won't interact with this take from you guys, but just like infer whatever you want, you know, attach anything to me that you want.
1: Um, ideal, ideology aside, what, uh, what about Boucher had, why did you choose Boucher? Boucher is in some ways like the big man whisperer,
2: Birch and Precious both play tremendous next to Boucher. And we, you know, you were obviously both of you guys hitting on how, how great it was to see that, that switched action between um fred and and pascal and og earlier but also then i was saying like yeah boucher hanging around these post-ups and being able to scram switch and stuff like that helps out a lot his additional rim protection by way of being the first contest before the second contest comes or the second contest after the first contest comes because the raptors defend the rim quite democratically they throw a lot of guys at the ball he with his length and his energy really adds to basically everything that the Raptors are doing, and especially the way that he pairs down his offensive game is uh, kind of fantastic to see because he's less of a pick and roll roller now than he was when, during his breakout year, but he still tries so hard to give you extra possessions on the offensive end. He can still stretch the floor. And defensively, this is by far his best defensive year. He's been like a huge plus on that end. And it's because they've leaned more into length as, you know, in the schematics, in their defensive ethos. And he really shows up there. And it's just been a, a wonderful marriage. So, yeah, let's say the the marriage of tax and government is Boucher and the Raptors. Let's do something
1: like that. Kyle, do you have any additional thoughts on Boucher? No, uh, other than this stretch, I think
0: should be like we need to... Turn this like the highlights of the stretch of games into an NFT and like make it Sahal's laptop background so that he don- is no longer <laughs> permitted to forget how good Chris Boucher has been over the last 10 games. I mean, it's <laughs> like, let's let's be real here. Like, he's had a tremendous run. He doesn't deserve the slander he gets, especially from us. <laughs> but, uh, Raptors in general, but us. And um, I hope he gets the recognition he deserves. And I guess that starts with the taxman. man. I think starts I, and ends with the ducks, man. Okay, that's I, all
1: really We don't have to go through the like the plotline of Boucher's season, but I do think he just had trouble transitioning into what this team was, and I I don't think he was alone in that. I like I think uh, like Flynn is another guy who just they had expectations for year two or the subsequent year, and those changed dramatically with like everything you know, like with wanting to give OG more usage with with Scotty coming in. With wanting to experiment with Precious. And I think then you kind of saw Boucher doing, like, struggling to get his and doing things that were atypical of him, AKA, like, launching threes with a hand in his face. We went back to the basics, and he's better than ever. And, like, this game really stood out to me, even though he's played really well the last couple of games. He altered like five shots in the first and second quarter alone. They didn't get any blocks, but he made guys readjust and like to your point, Samson, like that's so important because we're not we're not our paint defense is so kind of like multi-tool there's not one big shot blocking guy, but him just making attackers rethink what they're doing and readjusting their shots was like really uh vital today with with Cleveland getting so much penetration mm-hmm. Tomo in
2: the chat saying there probably aren't that many bench bigs better than Boucher since December 5th. You're correct, dude. They like, you know, uh, Lewis had that tweet up where he said he's, you know, just their mash teams when he's on the court. But Boucher, after being a pick and roll guy for so long, he just he completely transitioned his game and he's just all effort all the time, weaponized length. And he's he's awesome. I'm glad he's getting the love.
1: Are we are we forgetting about JaVale McGee? I don't know, like, best backup no, uh, center I, in the league. I did want to say of Boucher, though, like, he, you can tell he
0: likes getting the big volleyball block and, like, sending that, that shit to, like, Z. But all credit to him for not hunting those blocks. Like, he's solid yeah. position-wise defending the rim. There are guys like Hassan Whiteside for years was, like, just stepping up, like, to the nail for getting his, his box out assignment or even really, like, contesting the right shot in order to get, like, some block that he sends it way into the sand. So, you know, Chris, much respect for, like, just being a good shot blocker and still taking a lot of pride in, like, <laughs> getting that getting that garbage out of there, as Jack would say.
1: I'm quickly going to do the read. Uh, the Can-Am Tax Taxman of the Night is brought to you by Can-Am Tax. Uh, this is a small little tax firm. VJ Verma runs. They're very excellent. They're a proud partner of Raptors Republic. They enable us to do the show. And holy shit, in a week, taxes are due. So if you haven't gotten on that and you have a small business or you got your personal taxes or whatever, um it's a week, right? I don't April? think that's true. I think it's May. <laughs> is, is it 100%? May now? I thought it was April. Anyway.
2: He's on the take, everyone. It, He's trying it, it, to gas up. The... <laughs> it's coming up. It's That's
1: coming you up tonight. You and have VG. to message me. Yeah, exactly. right now. this is why I need VJ. I don't even know when my taxes are due, so uh, I advise any and all of you in need of an accountant to reach out to VJ Verma. Okay, VJ. VJ to, to ma'am, um, OG. We want to talk about OG. Are we happy with his return.
0: I, I wouldn't have expected any more. I mean, like I couldn't have asked for any more. And honestly, like I wouldn't expect any more. Like I said, I I hope this is OG's night every single night for the rest of his career. I I like him in the corner. He's a terrific shooter. He's a terrific defender. That's all. That's all I want to see from him.
2: Yeah, it was just like nice to see. There, there's two plays, right? The one is where he got free throws, and that was a pick and roll where the rappers actually got a pick and roll where a guy rolled to the rim and it wasn't a short roll. It was like, no, he went right roll. to the rim and then there was another one where he pick and popped and then the ball leaked out to him and he got to, you know, pump fake and put the ball on the ground. Uh, I believe his Mobley had to step up and then it went to Scotty and then Scotty made a, a contested layup. Like just that, that, OG has been good as a screener. OG has been good in dribble handoffs. OG has been good as a spot-up guy. He scores more out of the post than anyone else on the Raptors. He gets more assists out of the post than anybody on the Raptors. And he is like, there's a lot of different ways that you can use OG Ananobi, even without having a great pull-up jumper. And he uses his size effectively in some of the less glamorous ways. And I think it's cool to see a guy accept some of those roles offensively. And, and also taking the position as the weak side spacer in like a set action. That's that's not something that guys like to, to do very often, but he accepts it. And this is a guy who probably with his camp and probably with his, you know, his own version of events that he wants is he wants to become a star, but he's still willing to do the less glamorous stuff and he's good at it for the Raptors. So it was a return to form in that way for him tonight. So that was really cool to see.
1: I, I assume all NBA players want to be like a star, but yeah. I sometimes not that not, I'm not mocking you, but like sometimes I wonder, does OG actually want to be a star? Like he has like a humility to him and also a maturity that's kind of like, I'm going to be very good, but it doesn't matter if I'm the star or not because like, it's just the way he kind of carries himself. I don't know it's not that he's not working towards or anything like that. It's just, you know, it doesn't have the same egoism that like other players have, I think.
2: Yeah. That's like, it's always, it's tough to say, because we don't really know these guys and OG OG is currently in like year five of a, Five year long bit where he's the man who never speaks, but literally everyone who talks about OG who knows him is like, yeah, he never shuts up. He's so funny. But when it comes to the media, he's like, <laughs> I, I thought have nothing he was to dropping say.
0: that year too I thought I remember seeing all the rookie stuff, being like, oh, this is this is funny. I kind of like this. And I thought year two he would have like opened up and it would have been like a kind of a normal guy. And that's not to to you know, <laughs> that's not I respect it yeah, cool. It's just. He's weird. He's a weird dude.
2: It's like, yeah, it's yeah. impressive. He's like, yeah, the, he thinks he's playing a joke on the world. And he's he thinks it's funny. So he doesn't really care what anybody else thinks. But yeah, I don't know about like, I, I don't know about ego or anything like that or what he envisions for himself. Like Like you said, Aiden, like you, you'd probably assume that most NBA players envision stardom for themselves. And it's the people around them who enable those types of thoughts and try and, you know, carve out blueprints and paths to that success for them but yeah OG is a guy who Nick Nurse has been quoted saying he worries about not getting him involved more often they've gone to the post as a way to make sure that he gets touches and that wasn't the case in this past game but that's been the case this season and he's also isolated a lot although he's
1: been largely bad at it this yeah, year. Yeah, the that early uh, I I loved that Pascal was out only for that reason that OG got to like really kind of flex his wings and see where he was at. And I'm sure it was quite humbling for him to kind of see where he was at um particularly being guarded by one of the you know the one of the best players on the other team in isolation.
0: Yeah. Um, and, the score in the
1: NBA. So, yeah. yeah, that's what
0: I was going <laughs> to say. I, when I say I, I like him as the guy in the corner, that doesn't mean I I like him never touching the ball. It means that I don't want him as the number one option on the team with Siakam and and you know Barnes as such as touches et cetera. That's not it's not derisive. Guys are make entire ten year NBA careers and make a ton of money being like the person in the corner on the pick and roll, on the pick and roll. It's, it's a great play, It's a great role to be.
1: It's kind of what I mean. Like I you know. Again, like they're all aspir- I and mean, We don't even go on about this, but it's kind of interesting, like, like psychologically, where these players' heads are at. Because you know, you have like a guy like James Posey or Jeff Green. It's like they know and want to be a certain type of player, and like OG kind of gives you similar vibes, even though everyone and probably himself thinks his ceiling is a lot higher than most. Um, so, and you know, like. There's not really any conflict on the floor between him, Freddie, and Pascal. He's just there and dutiful and doing what's called upon him. Like I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think the the
2: biggest clash is the I guess usage percentage between Barnes's isolations and OGs. That because you don't want to mess with any of Siakam's stuff. He's clearly asserted himself as the Raptors' best half court player. So you're looking at Barnes and OG in isolation as some of those release valve plays or just kind of in between touches and Barnes has been better in isolation this year. Although there have been some games where like especially the Bucks blitz the hell out of the, the Fred Van well, anything including Fred or Pascal. And so the Raptors went, I think like most of a third quarter, just running empty side pick and rolls with one of OG plus chem or precious. And they scored enough out of it to kind of buoy the offense while guys got rest and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's always interesting to have more utility out of players and OG can give you that in a pinch, but he certainly hasn't uh, done it
1: to the point where you'd say, uh, more than Pascal, let's say, go get it. Yeah. Um, we're going to transition to questions because I want to get out of here to see if Team Canada can yeah. win their way into the World Cup they just got a red card Really? For the rest of the game. <laughs> oh perfect that's perfect yeah. um, okay so any questions you have we have a couple starred here Guru gets the top of the line by virtue of a monetary donation um, he's asking how we match up against Boston on Monday Sampson i uh, let you take this one okay so i think this is another big pascal game fred will
2: if fred plays in that game i expect him to kind of be in hell they're gonna flatten out every single pick and roll whether it's marcus smart or jalen brown or Derek white jumping him it's that's really really tough and we talked about him not having the burst to turn the corner on guys like a or mobley or even garland on you know a couple occasions that, that just probably isn't going to run against the Celtics. And Pascal Siakam is going to be in the hot seat because what happened against Boston wasn't that Boston defended him exceptionally well in the bubble. It was that Pascal got to the soft spots on the floor that were somewhat uncomfortable for him where he had kind of stretched his legs prior. This year, Pascal shoots from the short mid-range more than any other spot on the floor. Those are the soft spots that that Boston defense is going to surrender. And I don't know who's going to draw him as a primary. They do like to run Robert Williams, Time Lord, as a roamer. And so that will change how Pascal's calculus for attacking the defense. Where are they locating him? What's his three second in the key you know, process currently and that kind of stuff. But Pascal will largely be. The, the head of the snake as far as how the Raptors are attacking. So if he kind of pops off and makes those guys pay in isolation and can start drawing extra guys so that guys like Fred can be weaponized as shooters off ball, that's where the game can start to turn for them, I think. And then defensively, I think the Raptors have what it takes to play. You know, they can keep the Celtics under like 105 points or something. That's, that's my quick take on the game.
1: Yeah, Boston's or Toronto's well equipped to handle a Boston-type team defensively. That, but that being said, they have to be locked in. Like it's not they can't kind of do. You know, we've seen what happens when they don't do that. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting what you were saying with with Pascal in isolation, and I wonder if that's going to change Kem Burch's minutes because, like, um, he's just so much not a non-threat offensively that. If you have a guy like Time Lord roaming on the back end or even Horford, who's a great team defender, that like Birch is just not going to be threatening enough to have him on the floor. Yeah, to me, the biggest thing is, like, where's Robert
0: Williams? Because Ime Adoka, the Celtics coach, loves to put Robert Williams off of the traditional big. He likes to have him be a rope and shot blocker. Right. Um, can the can Robert Williams's guy can he hit enough corner threes to justify hit, like switching Robert Williams onto like a Siakam or something more onto the ball um can the Raptors get enough going like on those those little like quick swings to i don't know we'll see At, like the my hopes aren't high i think this Boston team and it, it pains me to say this it's re- reminiscent of the twenty nineteen Raptors. The, just the way they defend is so tenacious. there are everywhere, um, so we'll see. Scotty might pop off. Like, yeah, it could be Jalen Brown.
2: Guy. Yeah, if Jalen Brown is guarding Scotty, he might he might eat his lunch like on seven different possessions. That's there's a real possibility that happens.
0: It's also funny you're mentioning like Scotty's usage is gonna go down with you know with more guys coming back. It's like not if they're breaking shots, you know. My, he loves getting <laughs> on the offensive glass. I think his usage might go up depending on who's coming in the game. Like let's say Banton's playing a lot of minutes, I think the Scotty
1: usage is going way up. Yeah. This uh this is kind of like um apropos of the, like talking about Boston with the multiple guards. And I was just actually thinking, you know, if Gary's healthy, do we see a smaller lineup against Boston? Um, so the question is, are you guys in on a pro spacing lineup with two guards with Fred, Brooke, then Gary, OG, Pascal. These, these lineups have worked.
2: Well, they've, the skills of these lineups have been attempted by the Raptors before, let's say, and, Because, yeah, like Scotty and Brooks, the effective shooting they bring to the floor is roughly the same at this point, I guess. So the Raptors have gone with that starting lineup where Pascal is the center. And they've just given up so much defensively that they've kind of gone away from that a little bit. Precious is obviously outside of fred i think he's correlated the heavy the heaviest with um really great defense this year and you you can you know kind of get that from the numbers but that's also evident in the film to my eye anyway and so Kem is also provides a little bit more punch at the rim defensively than pascal has because pascal despite having a lot of the he has very positive rim defense numbers this year it is also part of that as aiden said like that that Having to be multi-tooled and how you defend the rim and being able to send like more than one guys at a contest. And so having Pascal is maybe the only guy back there is really tough to get away with defensively. But I mean, if they're shooting the ball, if they're slinging it, then these, then these lineups always work. If you hit the threes, these lineups cook no
1: matter what. So yeah, it depends yeah. what kind of Gary we're going to get. Yeah, man.
0: <laughs> in general, um, the, the defense kind of the problem speak for themselves. I'm less in on five out as I used to be. I'm kind of more in on like four out, one in. I, I'm fine with a big, like, I don't think you need shooting at every single position. I get it's helpful, but it's like you're just running the same actions anyway. And and so sometimes, you know, I don't mind or pressures or two. Or like, there's so much of this team's offense is like on the getting on the offensive glass anyway. I think why that's, rob them of that?
2: Yeah, that's also the Raptors this year. Have had like major success in short spurts with
0: no shooting lineups. Yeah, like yeah. they, Forget they re- four out one in. We're talking yeah, one exactly. out four in five in. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. The of, in it's
2: literally yeah, it's the inverse of flex. It's like Excel, except whatever. Anyway, but it's so funny oh. because they rebound half their misses. They turn the opposing team over like twenty percent of the time, and they just it, they're they're madmen out there. It's it.
1: Yeah. It's like someone blows a whistle and they all go over the trench, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Like get to the rim, yeah, like. Um, uh, also, a similar question, but I'm going to actually rephrase this because we we touched on it already. Who I mean, and if the answer is it depends, fair enough. But who is Toronto closing games with when everybody's healthy? Is that a big <sighs> depends question?
2: I think. Oh man. You probably see a mix, I guess. Like, it's it, it's very Nick Nurse to not give it to any one of the bigs. But if Precious at you, like, this was a bad offensive process game for Precious after having, like, two weeks of really solid process because because his decision-making hierarchy was quite simplified because he was banging in, like, 50% of his threes. So he, he didn't put the ball on the floor, like, 40% more of the time. But if Precious has a really simplified offensive diet, is hitting threes even at like 33, 34%. That's the guy you probably close with. And then, you know, like he probably just has to be on the floor because he helps out defensively so much. He helps you close out so many uh, defensive possessions. The biggest problem for the Raptors in the clutch this year hasn't been getting stops. The effective field goal percentage is fine. It's the fact that they give up so many damn offensive rebounds. And so, yeah, I think Precious would help a lot. But I'm lower on Gary than most people, I think. And not because of this recent stretch, just you know, I, looking at his game, I'm a bit lower on him than most people. And so Gary going to the bench, I would maybe not be that mad at it. But the Raptors have also using Gary as like a, a shooter and a screener in some of these set actions they use late in games has been really, really good for them. And he, man, he's made it rain. Uh, as far as like late game shooting at times too, so it's a tough one. I guess you just run with what's working currently. If if Gary's shooting like he is now, then no, like he can sit on the bench. But if if he's on a streak, then yeah,
0: definitely run with it. Yeah. To me, those first four names are set in stone, and then it's like um, like the og scotty pascal and fred are set in stone and then it's like maybe it's boucher tonight maybe it's precious maybe it's gary i I think that it's like by committee that fifth guy i've got no strong opinions about who the fifth person is i've got incredibly strong opinions about who the first four are i don't think you can take any of those guys out of the closing line
1: yeah i think that's probably true it's it's a nice luxury to have now that we kind of struggle with that that question generally um this isn't this isn't part of the question but i've been yelling at having gary come off the bench for a while now just as like okay you're a, you're a scorer you claim to be a scorer you don't give a fuck who's guarding you like we're you're coming off the bench as our jordan clarkson like let's maybe do that for a while and see what happens um so it be interesting to see how they incorporate him now with og back
2: yeah it's i think he's really dependent on the other players even though like some of his scoring seems like it's the product of just like going out there and getting a bucket. A lot of time it's second side action after the defense has been compromised by one of Pascal Gary. Although I do, I do agree with you. Like, I think the full vision of this team is probably with Gary on the bench, especially because the steals are really great. And like the passing lane defense is really great, but there are some places with like proprietary information. And I tell you what, Gary is one of the people the league over who gives up the most points off of gambles like 100 percent it's something that the Raptors have to deal with so it's yeah it it swings both ways with him
1: for sure and also he pairs very nicely with Boucher and, and Precious coming off the bench and 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 to some degree Flynn like that's actually like a pretty nice four you know rotation guys um and then you keep you know whoever pascal or or og out there or scotty rather um so yeah i i could actually see that being quite nice uh as like a little nine man rotation um yeah Um, i I wanted to
0: touch on this one okay that'll be my answer i think think my go-to answer this question would be a lot. Chris Boucher has not been paid yet. Oh, I guess we should be reading these questions, by the way, if they're audio yeah, for yeah, at some yeah. point. Got... <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, this question yeah. says, what type of money is Chris <laughs> Boucher going to command? Um I I I would imagine a lot. He hasn't had his big NBA payday today. I think a team like if you're like a team like Charlotte, you can clear some cap space early easily this offseason like um, I don't know, like teens, mid-teens, three years, something like that.
1: Yeah, I I saw like three or thirty-six or something like that. Kind of makes sense to me.
2: Yeah, it it'll be really interesting to see if he escapes the mid-level exception area, but I think he's going to be, depending on team fit and team concept, team context. I think he'll actually be eating up probably two years of the mid-level exception, if I had to guess, because. I think that Boucher is underrated. And I think it? that... Sorry, good. Um, Yeah, I think I think he's underrated the league-wide. And um, guys get underpaid all the time. And I think that he'll probably be a guy who's giving you surplus value as far as what he's getting paid. Even if that's not fair to Chris, I hope he gets all the money in the world. But yeah, I think that's probably the way it shakes out.
1: What, uh, what does two years mid-level look
0: like? Well, it can actually... Yeah. And depending if you're a taxpayer or not it's sorry it's 10 yeah but if you're a tax-paying team it's like six so yeah, yeah. and it depends like I, I could see him doing that i could also see him just being like i'm getting as much money as possible this is my last nba contract and frankly i think Hold he deserves right. it i hope they don't i hope the raptors aren't the ones to give him that money but i hope he gets like some ridiculous timothy Mosgov style contract i definitely <laughs> have <laughs> like... regretting for years
1: I have like a comic book thought bubble of like, no, it's November and Boucher is playing like shit, and he goes into nurse's office and nurse is like, "If you want to get paid, you need to do the following." And it's just like, he's is what he what his what his next contract is going to be from November of 2021 to now is like many millions of dollars different, and and now you could see him fitting on on at least half the teams in the league, like like Sam's saying, I think he's. He's undervalued not only on what he brings, but also his versatility.
2: Yeah, that's that's really the truth. And there's a reason why he's why they're winning minutes with him on the floor. It isn't because he changes the way that teams play. It's because he's immensely helpful to the guys who help make teams go. And being able to do that on winning teams, that, that means that you'll be paid somewhere. But yeah, we're all just quibbling about what that really looks like. And yeah, yeah, I agree with Kyle. Get the bag, dude. Get some money 100%. in the boucher household. Yeah.
1: Get overpaid as much as you can. Uh um, taxmount. Buy a house in Westmount for your family. Call you know, it. Set it down. Yeah. Uh okay, that's it for the wrap up, I think. Um Samson, do you have any outro stuff for your show you want to Yeah,
2: sure. Uh, Podcast listener, this is obviously a bit of a shock for you, and I'm sorry for leaving you hanging for 57 minutes before you know talking about it. But yeah, uh, myself, Aiden, and Kyle decided we would chat and do it live on YouTube, and then you guys would get the fruits of our labor. This is it. Uh, It's a nice change of pace from me just talking quietly in a room about. And uh, yeah, so we saw some flare screens here, and they were, you know, they're running uh, horns out on this play, and. So we're having a bit of a more wide-ranging topics and stuff like that. So I, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you enjoyed Kyle and Aiden. I'm sure you did. So, uh, yeah, thanks uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And then the live listeners. I mean, it's cool to interact with people while I do it because usually okay. I'm just kicking back. So uh, thanks, everybody, for
1: watching. That kicks ass. Yeah, the, the viewers, I find, keep the show going. They're, they're very funny, and they ask good questions. Samson, it was great having you. You made us all feel, like, much dumber about basketball than uh, we are, but uh, boom. I don't know, Kyle. At least for me, no, um, no, no, I mean, hey, what can I say?
0: We're we're men of the people, I'm not a solo <laughs> yeah. in the room <laughs>
1: podcaster. I'm gonna
0: answer the questions and, and crack jokes. This is comedy for me. You're
1: that anor- anarcho Italian guy, like, uh, yeah. causing, I don't okay. scuffing up a storm. All right, that's <laughs> it for the wrap up. We're gonna go, go, Team Canada. Uh, Thanks, everybody. Ciao.